If you've ever been part of a revival, you know the excitement of seeing a crowd respond to God. But no revival in history can compare with the one that's coming. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shines the spotlight on the spiritual awakening that will occur during the tribulation, a revival like the world has never known. Here's David to introduce today's message, the 144,000. You know, people have asked me, how are people going to get saved during the tribulation period when the church is gone? Well, 144,000 witnesses from Israel are going to be set loose on this earth. 144,000 uh, witnesses uh, of their faith, and there will be a mass uh, revival. In fact, um, most people believe, and I think it's accurate, this will be the biggest revival that ever has taken place on this earth. So it is untrue to say that there's going to be a major revival before Jesus comes back. There's no evidence of that in the Scripture. We hope it's true, but we don't have any biblical proof. But there is evidence that there will be a major revival during the tribulation period. That's in the Scripture. We're talking about it today and tomorrow here on Turning Point. Let me ask you this question. If someone came up to you on the street and asked a question about current events and the signs of the times, would you have any answers? Would you be able to even discuss the prophetic timeline that God has prepared for us? You know, sometimes it's hard to understand how distant events and unfamiliar signs that are in the Scriptures have anything to do with us now. But if you read the Bible carefully, you will discover that God has a purpose for these events. They exist to indicate something important about His plan for history and for us living confidently in the world today. That's why I'm so excited about this series we're in the middle of, the 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, based on a book that has been released called The Book of Signs. You can get your copy of this book from davidjeremiah.org, and you can get the three study guides that go with it from the same address. Once again, our website is davidjeremiah.org. Go there today and order these resources. They will be a blessing to you and help you understand what's going on now and what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. Okay, let's get started with this exciting uh, opportunity that we have to look into the uh, 7th and 8th chapter of Revelation and learn about the 144,000 witnesses. Eli Jacobs plodded home from the synagogue head bowed and shoulders sagging. The Orthodox Jewish scholar looked older than his 56 years, especially on this day. He was discouraged, for his once burgeoning congregation in Hadera, Israel, had dwindled until only 12 members remained. No longer able to support a rabbi, the congregation had pleaded with Eli, a former professor of religion at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, They had pleaded with him to become their lay leader. Eli couldn't argue. I mean, after all, he didn't have responsibilities that come with being a husband and a father. He'd always been so deeply immersed in his studies that he had never married, and his mother was always after him because she said, when am I going to ever have grandchildren? Although he had devoted his life to Judaism, he often felt that somewhere along the way, his religion had taken the wrong turn. Most Jews in Jerusalem at that time were Zionists, more secular than religion. And although Eli was deeply devoted, even his own beliefs no longer seemed to touch his heart. He performed his synagogue duties with a growing sense of detachment. 
One evening, Eli sat in his study at home, and as usual, his radio was turned to Kol HaMusica, Tel Aviv's classical station. He stared without seeing at the Torah on his desk until a stirring choral work began to penetrate his malaise. He had heard the piece many times. It was Sir Arthur Sullivan's The Lost Chord, but tonight its music spoke to his heart as never before. The lyrics portray a weary composer sitting at his organ, letting his hands wander idly over the keys. They unwittingly strike a magnificent chord of music like the sound of a great amen. The chord leaps from the organ into the composer's soul, and though he tries desperately to find it again, he cannot. Finally, he gives up, realizing that only in heaven will he ever hear that chord again. It's my own story, Eli muttered. I have often sensed that something undefined that I long to know fully is missing. Like that chord, it eludes me. He closed his Torah, switched off the radio, and went to bed. The next morning, Eli sat in his usual booth at the restaurant down the street, ordering his typical breakfast. Moments later, he heard his name spoken in a Scottish brogue. He looked up to see a gray-haired man of about 60 standing beside his table. Professor Jacobs, the man said. Eli nodded. I am Wallace Duncan, a Christian pastor sent to Hadera from a missionary society in Edinburgh. May I please sit down? And Eli nodded. The Scotsman explained his mission at present. Some 75 Christians lived in Hadera, and they had begged the missionary society for a pastor. He had been sent to organize the separate house churches in Hadera into a single unified whole. Hadera has more Christians than devout Jews, Eli said ruefully. As the conversation continued, the two men found they had so much in common. They loved the same books, the same music, and they were both avid fans of American baseball. An hour later, they parted and agreed to meet again the following Friday. For the next three weeks, they met every Friday for breakfast, and their friendship began to grow. There was something about Duncan that made Eli want to talk with him, and he found himself pouring out his doubts about the faith he'd given his life to. When he finished, he smiled and said, I guess I'm an Orthodox Jew who wonders whether he still believes in Judaism. Duncan remained silent for a moment, his chin resting on his hands, and he said, Eli, do you know very much about Christianity? Only by hearsay, he said. I've never studied it. I hope you will not find my question offensive, but I must ask, would you be willing to hear how Christianity fulfills the majority of the Jewish Old Testament prophecies? Yes, I'm ready to listen, Eli said, surprising himself. Very good. We'll begin at breakfast next Friday. The following Friday morning, Eli was full of questions as he entered the restaurant to meet with Pastor Duncan, but his friend was not there. And Eli noticed that patrons of the cafe and employees were gathered around the TV. What's going on, he said. One of the waitresses answered without taking her eyes off the screen, thousands of people have disappeared out of Israel, just vanished off the face of the earth. They're saying that 75 people are missing from Hadera. And millions upon millions have vanished around the world. 
There have been disasters everywhere, two air crashes in Tel Aviv alone. And it soon became clear that all those missing were Christians. So only Christians have disappeared, Eli muttered, shaking his head. I have no idea what all this means, but it must say something about the validity of Christianity. In the next few weeks, Eli began studying the Old Testament prophecies with his synagogue members. But like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, it was very difficult, and they floundered because they had no one to tell them what these prophecies meant. Then one day, he opened the Jerusalem Post, and these were the headlines. Self-styled prophets create turmoil in Jerusalem. The front page of the newspaper screamed out at him. His pulse quickened as he read the story. Two unknown street preachers, calling themselves the two witnesses, were roaming the streets and parks of Jerusalem, calling Jews to repent of their sins, recognize the rabbi Jesus as the true Messiah, and return to their ancient calling to be a holy nation. Eli dropped his newspaper. Maybe these guys can answer my questions. And within the hour, he was on a bus to Jerusalem. Once he arrived, he learned that the two men, the two witnesses, which is what the locals called them, were in Jerusalem's park, and he hailed a cab so he could go see for himself. The park was filled with strolling couples and joggers and picnicking families and the hollow pop of tennis balls, yet an odd sound seemed from the distance, a jumble of dissonant shouts and invectives Curious, he followed the noise, and he soon saw the reason. There was an angry mob hurling rotting fruit and raw eggs at two men standing on a bench, and as he watched, police officers appeared and dispersed the unruly crowd. The two men, dressed in threadbare black suits, strode to a drinking fountain where they tried to wipe off their splattered clothing, and Eli followed them. As he approached, the taller man turned to him, and said, Greetings, Professor Eli Jacobs. Eli's mouth fell open. How in the world did you know who I am? God revealed it to us. We have known you were coming since you left Hadera. Eli gaped in disbelief. Who on God's earth are you? We are two of God's prophets. Come, let's find a comfortable place to talk. They led him to a nearby park bench under the shade of a spreading cedar, And at their urging, Eli told of his futile attempts to find the current meaning of the ancient prophecies. Have you ever read the Christian book of Revelation? The shorter witness asked. When Eli admitted that he had not, he said, then we'll start reading it with you right now. And over the next few evenings, the two witnesses showed Eli how the Jewish prophecies of the Old Testament books of Daniel and Ezekiel matched up with the Apostle John's revelation in the New Testament. And they went on to compare these prophecies and all of the world events that were prophesied in the prophecies. Eli shook his head, trying to take it all in. I wish I knew what we could do about this, he said. Well, we can tell you that, the taller witness said. God has taken his people out of the world to focus on his promise to bring his people, the Jews, back to him. In fact, God sent you to us because you have a role to play in that plan. You are to be his evangelist to all who will listen. You are not the first God has sent to us. The second witness said, there will soon be 144,000 of you, 12,000 from each of the ancient tribes of Israel who will lead a worldwide movement to evangelize the world for Christ before the end comes. Eli chuckled, but I'm not even a Christian. 
Are you ready to become one? I am, said Eli. I believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. The two witnesses prayed with Eli as he accepted Jesus Christ as his Messiah. And when they finished praying, Eli asked, What now? Well, if you'll come again tomorrow, we will tell you. That night in his hotel room, Eli Jacobs dreamed of vague, distant chords from a breathtaking song. Though he could not remember the melody after he awoke, he knew he had just heard a lost chord like the one that had so tantalized the composer Sullivan. Its elusive echoes filled him with unspeakable joy. When he arrived at the park that afternoon, an even more clamorous mob surrounded the two witnesses. As he approached, the rioters began to pelt the speakers as before, but this time it wasn't with rotten fruit or eggs. They were actually throwing stones. And the air swarmed with rocks that were being hurled at these two men, short range, and yet they stood there untouched. Finally, the frustrated crowd gave up and they left. What just happened, Eli said. How is it possible that none of those stones ever hit you? They smiled and said, you know, God has promised to protect us from harm until our task is complete. Which brings us to the reason we ask you to return. Eli sat on a bench as the two witnesses began their discussion. As you go out into the world, many will reject your message. When people hear that the plagues and the earthquakes and the contamination now beginning to cover the earth are God's warnings, they will take out their anger on you. Well, that's not pleasant to hear, Eli said, but it'll be worth it if our nation returns to their original calling. Soon there were 144,000 evangelists preaching across the globe, and in their wake came intense persecution. When the disasters foretold by the two witnesses began to descend upon the unrepentant world, people blamed the Messianic Jews for the calamities. But because the Lord had sealed these preachers, they were able to persevere unscathed. Three and a half years after the rapture, the world was rocked by new traumas from unprecedented terror against the Jews. Natural disasters increased problems all over the world, caused widespread death and unprecedented misery. Eli and the rest of the worldwide network of 144,000 evangelists, now sure they were in a race against time, spent every waking hour calling people to repentance. Heartening successes were interspersed with violent rejections, but the many they had led to faith became shining beacons of love and holiness, and many of them became diligent champions of the good news. Now that's my story. And here's the scripture behind it. The Bible says that during the tribulation, the Antichrist will work to consolidate his power and to exalt himself in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. While he is crushing those who refuse to bow before his statue, the greatest spiritual awakening of all time will take place on this earth. And this awakening will come through the ministry of the 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists. Let me pause here for just a moment and say that you may often hear from those who preach on prophecy that before the Lord Jesus comes back and the rapture happens, there's going to be a great revival on this earth. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I wish it would. 
What the Bible says is, before the rapture happens, before the Lord comes back, there's going to be a great turning away from the faith. But there will be a great revival. It will be after the rapture, during the tribulation period, and it will be fueled and led by these 144,000 enthusiastic, spirit-filled Jews. These 144,000 are introduced in two chapters in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, to which you have turned, and then again in chapter 14. And in rapid-fire succession, I'm going to tell you from the Scripture 10 important things about these people. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to write fast. But I don't want you to miss this because I didn't make up the story I just told you. I just kind of refreshed it a little bit for this particular generation. And now I'm going to show you the rest of the story. The first thing you will learn as you study this in the Bible is that the 144,000 are selected from the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 7, 4 says, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The matter of who these witnesses are is not left up for us to contemplate. The Bible specifically tells us the 144,000 witnesses are Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. And in case you are in doubt and you opened your Bible to Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 5, we have a list that's so specific you can't possibly miss it. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. And the writer goes all the way down through all 12 tribes, mentioning that out of the 144,000, the 12 tribes each submit 12,000 witnesses from their tribe. 12 times 12 makes up the 144,000. Throughout the scripture, the number 12 is constantly associated with Israel. The Jewish high priest wore a breastplate bearing 12 precious stones on it. The table of showbread in the tabernacle had 12 holy loaves. There are 12 gates in the city of God, all representing Israel's tribes. And Matthew 19, 28 tells of a future day when the 12 apostles will sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How many of you heard 12? <laughs> it's really an important number with Israel. These pictures of Israel associated with the number 12, all of them find their fulfillment in the sealed individuals who make up the 144,000 the next time somebody says to you, I don't know who the 144,000 witnesses are, you can take them right to Revelation 7 and say, let me tell you who they are. They're Jewish evangelists, and 12,000 come from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are selected from the 12 tribes of Israel. Number two, they are sealed on their foreheads. Now, we've learned already that when the Antichrist comes, he's going to put a seal on the foreheads of those who bow before him and on their hands. Without this seal on your forehead and on your hands during the reign of the Antichrist, you won't be able to buy or sell or transact any business. What is that called? It's called the mark of the beast. But God has a mark for his witnesses. And the Bible says they are sealed on their foreheads. And that is there's something written on the foreheads of these 144,000 witnesses. And while Revelation 7 doesn't tell us what this seal is, 
when you move to chapter 14, you discover in the first verse that written on their foreheads, it says, his father's name is written on their foreheads. So when you see one of these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, written on their forehead is going to be the name of the Holy Father of heaven. It won't be hard to identify them. You will know who they are. And they are servants of the living God, says verse 3. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The seal of the living God will not merely be an external mark, but it will also be a moral badge. When you see that, you will know you're in context with a very righteous person, a servant of the living God, who is not only sealed against persecution and hurt, but sealed to do the mighty work of God. You know the Bible says you and I are sealed with what? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit seals you, he not only comes to protect you, he comes to fill you with his presence and with his power. And the Old Testament prophet Joel spoke of such a time in Joel chapter 2. Listen to these words. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. In that day, the Bible says these 144,000 witnesses that are selected out of the 12 tribes of Israel who have on their foreheads the name of the Father God will have a special power about them. They will be filled with the Spirit, and when they preach, people will fall on their faces and be saved. They are servants of the living God. Then notice also they are separated unto God. Here's a very debated verse, but let me read it and then tell you what I think it means. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, oftentimes when you read that and you hear somebody speak about it, they spiritualize it. They think this is a verse about spiritual adultery, but I don't think it's about that at all. I think that what they're saying is that these men who are sealed to preach the gospel are unmarried. They're celibates. In other words, they don't have a wife, they don't have a family. And when you find out what they're doing and the intensity with which they do it, you can understand why a wife and family would be a very difficult thing to manage during this particular time. So here's what I believe it means. I believe the 144,000 witnesses are single, unmarried men who travel throughout all the world with the gospel with nothing else on their mind, nothing else on their heart, except to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Amen. Amen. Well, um, tomorrow we'll finish up the month and we'll finish up this message as we take one more look at the 144,000. But remember, friends, we have one more month of this series of prophetic teaching 
This three-month series, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, is uh, from the book, the Book of Signs. And uh, each one of these signs is from a chapter in this book. There are 460 pages of this book that outline the future. And if you want to have this in writing, you can still order the book from davidjeremiah.org. There you will find out how to make your order for this book. And then while you're doing it, why don't you just get the study guides that go with it? You'll have an, an excellent way to interact with the material that you're listening to. There's also a series of CDs. If you want the audio version of all of this, you can get that from that same website. Don't forget, friends, if you haven't already considered it, we're going to Alaska in July. I hope you will take a note of that and plan to join us. The dates are July 16th through the 23rd. It will be an incredible time in one of the most beautiful places in the world. See you next time right here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The 20th century author Christopher Morley wrote in one of his novels, There was so much handwriting on the wall that even the wall fell down. 
he wasn't quoting the Bible, but the image is certainly biblical, from the prophet Daniel. Even though only four words were written on the wall of the King of Babylon's banquet hall, they might be the four most ominous words of judgment ever written. They were so heavy, in fact, that the walls of the Kingdom of Babylon fell that very night. God is a God of great patience and forgiveness, but also a God of justice and judgment. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how and why God judges on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.